0: Nama Om Vishnupadaya, Vishnupashtaya, Bhutabai, Shri Mate Bhakti Vedanta Swami, Niti Namaste, Sarasvati Deve, Vora Vani Nirvise Sasna Nirvati, Paskatyade Sutarne, Vandeham, Shri Nirvani, Shri Vita, Padakamalam, Shri Gurum, Vaishnavam, Shri Rupam, Sagrajitam, Sahagana, Raghunatam, Vitam, Swam Sajiva. Sadhavitam, Sadhavitam, Parijana, Sahita, Krishna, Jaitanudeva, Shri Radha, Krishna, Padam, Sahagana, Lavita, Shri Rishakam, Vitam, Cha. Panchikapa, Chirubhis, Cha, Pibas, and Ruby, Vita, Patitanan, Paveyo, Vaishnavavayo, Namo, 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 Bhagavateva, Sudeva, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavateva Sudevaya Om Namo Bhagavateva Sudevaya October 16th, 2015, Viti from Srimad Bhagavatam 3638 uh, Creation of the Universal Form Atmano vasito vatsa. Atmano माहिमा Mahima ka vinadina. Mahima ka sahasrante. Atmana. of the Supreme Soul Of the Supreme Soul Soul. Avastita Avastita Avastita. Known Known Vatsa Vatsa Vatsa. Oh my dear son Oh my dear son son. Mahima Mahima Ah. Glories Glories Kavina Kavina Kavina. Ah. by the poet Brahma By the Poet Brahma Adina Adina. Adina, original. 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 Sambatsara. 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 Celestial years. Celestial, Celestial years. years. Sahastra Ante. Sahastra Ante. Okay. At the end of one thousand. At the end of one thousand. Diya. Diya. By intelligence. By intelligence. Yoga Vipakkaya. By, sorry, by mature, meditation. by mature meditation, muted, unmuted. Oh, my son, the original poet Brahma, after mature meditation for 1000 celestial years, could know only that the glories of the Supreme Soul are inconceivable. Purport. There are some froggish philosophers who want to know the Supreme Soul by means of philosophy and mental speculation. And when the devotees, who are to some extent in knowledge of the Supreme Lord, admit that the glories of the Lord are inestimable or inconceivable, the froggish philosophers adversely criticize them. These philosophers, like the frog in the well who tried to estimate the measurement of the Pacific Ocean, like to take trouble over fruitless mental speculation instead of taking instructions from devotees like the original poet, namely Brahma. Lord Brahma underwent a severe type of meditation for 1,000 celestial years. Yet he said that the glories of the Lord are inconceivable. Therefore, what can the frogish philosophers hope to gain from their mental speculations? It is said in the Brahma Samhita that the mental speculator may fly through the sky of speculation with the velocity of the mind or the wind for thousands of millions of years, and still he will find it inconceivable. The devotees, however, do not waste time in such vain searching after knowledge of the Supreme, but they submissively hear the glories of the Lord from bona fide devotees. Thus they transcendentally enjoy the process of hearing and chanting. The Lord approves of the devotional activities of the devotees or Mahatmas, and he says, Mahatmanastumampartha, Daivinprakritimashvittaha, Bajantinanda manasau, di Bhutadimavgayam, Satatam Kirtayantomam, Jada Mambakya Bhagavad Gita nine thirteen to fourteen. The pure devotees of the Lord take shelter of the Parapakriti, the internal potency of the Lord, called Lakshmi Devi, Sita Devi, Shimati Radharani, or Shimati Rukmini Devi, and thus they become actual Mahatmas or great souls. Mahatmas are not fond of indulging in mental speculations, but they actually take to the devotional service of the Lord without the slightest deviation. Devotional service is manifested by the primary process of hearing and chanting about the activities of the Lord. This transcendental method practiced by the Mahatmas gives them sufficient knowledge of the Lord because if the Lord can at all be known to some extent, it is only through the means of devotional service and no other way. One may go on speculating and waste the valuable time of his human life, but that will not help anyone to enter into the precincts of the Lord. The Mahatmas, however, are not concerned with knowing the Lord by mental speculation because they enjoy hearing about his glorious activities in his transcendental dealings with his devotees or with the demons. The devotees take pleasure in both and are happy in this life and the life after. Atmano vasito vatsa mahima ka venadina samvatsara sahashrante diya yoga Vipakkaya, O oh, my son, the original poet Brahma, after mature meditation for one thousand celestial years, could know only that the glories of the supreme Lord are inconceivable. Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya. Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavateva Sudevaya. So, this is a verse about people who want to know the truth. Hmm. How do we know the truth? Can the powers of the Lord, Atmana, be known? Avasitaha. By Lord Brahma, who's the Kavina Adya, the original poet. After even a thousand years, Sahasrante. Hmm. But the glories were not penetrated even by Lord Brahma. So, anyone who thinks that the glories of the Lord can easily be known cannot know him. This verse, of course, reminds us of when Lord Brahma saw all the Vishnu forms after he had stolen the boys and the calves and he returns after a year of our time, a moment of his time, and he sees The two sets of boys and calves, which is impossible because each jiva is unique. There cannot be two identical jivas, and he's bewildered. How is it possible that there are two identical jivas? And then he sees each of these jivas manifest as Vishnu, and each Vishnu is being worshipped by a whole creation. And he offers obeisances, and in his prayers he says... My Lord, if somebody wants to say that they know all about you, uh, they can say that. But as for me, I can never know all about you. And this is this is Lord Brahma who has four brains. You know, we may be proud of our one brain, but he has four brains. And not only do I, he has four brains, but his body is the universe. So Lord Brahma is intimately aware of everything going on in the universe we could say, beyond the knowledge of Yamaraj, who is concerned just with sinful karma makers. But Lord Brahma knows everything in this one universe. And still, he says, I cannot understand the glories of the Lord. This is one of the smallest universes, as Lord Brahma discovered. Our Lord Brahma discovered when he saw Krishna with all the Brahmas. So, if the greatest person in this universe, materially speaking says that the glories of the Lord are inconceivable that you can, they can only be known to some extent then we should just take that as a given right, if the greatest physicist in the world says that physics cannot be fully understood we just, we accept that here is an authority and that they're telling us like that but still we want to know what is the truth I mean everyone, even people in the mode of ignorance want to know what is the truth, what's really going on people become very eager to know what is really going on in government you know <laughs> they're trying to unearth conspiracy theories what is the government actually doing what's their real plans the government itself wants to know the truth they're sending out spies to their enemies and to their friends you know what's the real truth people hire private detectives to see if their spouses are faithful i mean everybody wants to know what is what is real Hmm? One, uh, one devotee posted something very funny on the internet some time ago. He said, I, I like to stir up controversy and make people angry because when they're angry, then they finally speak the truth. Yeah, it was, we wonder, do people speak the truth when they're not angry or do people speak the truth when they're angry? Which, which, which time are we lying and which time are we authentic? What's really going? What do people really think of me? Right? What am I really like? What's the world really like? What's going on? So everybody, even even the demons, everybody uh, wants something that's genuine. Uh, Even the demons, they want to have genuine friends, huh? Isn't it? They want to have people who are loyal that they can trust. Something that's authentic. But how do we find out the absolute truth? Now, I I know one person who's not so active in Krishna consciousness anymore who objects to the term absolute truth. And he says this means that you guys think that uh, you have a a monopoly on the truth. But absolute truth simply means there's no falsity there. It's complete truth. There's no lies. It's, It's totally authentic. And when we try to find out truth in this world, it's always mixed. It's always mixed. You're not going to find something that's absolutely true on the material level. You're only going to find relative truths. Even the best history book, the best investigated journalism, uh, the best uh, science is not going to find something that's absolutely true. And Śrīla Prabhupāda is making that point in this verse. Indeed, the the in the purport. Uh, indeed, the scientists all know this. To the general public, They say, we're getting more and more truth, we're getting closer and closer to the truth, we're weeding out the false, and eventually we'll have the complete truth. But they themselves know that such propaganda is a lie. And I found it very amusing that at the undergraduate level, they just say, yes, we're getting closer and closer to the truth. and the master's level, they say, yes, we're getting closer and closer to the truth. And when you get to the PhD level, they say, by the way, we don't know anything. We don't even know what what we know or how we know. We don't even know what is the process of knowing. What Krishna talks about in the Gitas, Jnana and jaya. we don't even know how we know. We don't know how the senses interact with their object. What's the relationship between senses, brain, and object? Is anything we're perceiving real at all? Uh, is it all just an imagination? And they—they they just don't know anything. And it was fascinating to me. I had it required class in philosophy of science, and people were doing exactly what Prabhupada talks about here—useless mental speculation. And I just sat in the back and studied and the Upanishads, took songs. It was—it was just complete useless speculation. You know, maybe. When we see something, you know, because the eye isn't seeing anything. That you know, the eye can't see anything. It's disconnected from the brain. So it's the brain that's seeing something. But how can the brain see anything? The brain's just a bunch of neurons. So who is seeing something? You know, there's are are we a self? Are we not a self? Is the self constantly created? Is it a constant? And how do we know that what we're perceiving is actually what's out there? Our senses are very limited. Dogs can hear more than we can. Eagles can see more than we can. Bees can see more than we can, etc., etc., etc. Do we have any idea that what we're perceiving is reality? None. And so, even if through all of our just <laughs> so, even if all of us agree on what we're perceiving, if we're all perceiving something that's not reality, then there's no meaning to our agreement. So science is predicated on the assumption, empirical science, that, yes, one person's perception of reality is undoubtedly completely flawed, but if you have enough people replicate their experiment and if they all come to the same conclusion, then you can say at least tentatively that this is true. However, if nobody is accurately perceiving reality, then what is the meaning of uh, a joint uh, improper perception, a joint hallucination? So there's, there's no point in the whole thing at all. And uh, we're not going to go through this today, but there's, there's six arguments against empiricism. The, the real problem, though, is not so much that our instruments per, of perception are faulty. Uh, we talk about the four defects, that we have faulty instruments of perception and that we're prone to be illusioned. So even if we uh, see something accurately, we we can be illusioned about it. I take a a brisk walk most mornings, very early before the sun comes up, and every single morning it looks like there's three people standing at the end of the street. And, you know, it's it's not. It's just some mailboxes and telephone poles which from a distance look like they're all together. When you get to them, they're widely separated. But from a distance, it looks like three people standing together and, and walking towards me. So, we can be, we have imperfect perceiving tools. We can be illusion. We make mistakes. Right? We all make mistakes. Sure, we've been in a conversation with someone. They say something, and we say, Oh, that, why did you say such and such? Oh, I didn't say such and such. Well, yes, you did. You just said it. And we don't even remember what we said a minute ago. And the worst is that we're cheaters. Uh, We intentionally cheat. So not only do we unintentionally become illusioned to make mistakes, we intentionally cheat and add to all that that the very process we're using of empiricism can only at best tell us that so far everybody agrees we haven't yet found a counterexample. And the very famous example of this is that in Australia there's black swans and until Australia was discovered by the Europeans the Europeans thought that swans were only white. That was just true. Swans were only white because they hadn't found any black ones. So one never knows what one... You don't know what you don't know. So even even if we had perfect objects, perfect instruments of perception, and we weren't illusions and so forth and so forth, uh, still, we don't know what we don't know. There's things beyond what we've experienced and we don't even know that they exist and so we reach conclusions based on the few that we have experienced and many more things besides that. But the real problem is not any of that. I mean, we can make a very strong case about knowing something completely true on the basis of our imperfect instruments and our imperfect process, but the heart is really something quite Different. The heart of the problem of trying to know the truth in that way is is a different matter entirely. And this different matter gives us the basis of what the absolute truth really is. Many people ask why there are so many different religions and why, even within a religion, there will be so many different sects and I find it fascinating, you know, Srila Prabhupada started the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, and there is a huge attempt by the managerial leaders of that society to keep it as a monolithic society, but that attempt is a failure. It splits off into sister organizations and different sects and, and so forth, and they're they're really, really trying to avoid what every religion has had to do, and that is except either different organizations within the organizations, like the Catholic Church does, uh, sister organizations, parallel organizations, or even separate organizations like the Buddhists do. And then even within one religious organization, there's differences of opinion. We have uh, sometimes stark differences of opinion regarding what appears, appears to be uh, bare facts, by our different Acharyas. So one Acharya will say, there's a flood after every Manu. One Acharya will say, there's not a flood after every Manu. And they see these things differently, even within the same branch of the same tradition. And we we see this happening uh, all the time. So even those who are in the same organization, with the same guru and the same authorities, can have widely different opinions on different things. and and Even though they're all experiencing the same absolute truth, at least that's what they're supposed to be experiencing. And so people say, well, how how is this possible? How are they getting so many different views? Hmm? In the material world, material consciousness, we feel that our conflicts, our difficulties, are because we have different views of the same thing. And that if we all view things exactly the same, then our conflicts would cease. I remember a song by the Beatles like that, you know. If you would just see it my way, then uh, we wouldn't be fighting. But as long as you see it your way, we're going to be fighting. And a lot of our attempts in, in the material world is to try to convince other people to see things the way we see them. And if they won't do it voluntarily, then we... May use some sort of force, we may f- make our voice a little louder, uh, we may attack them personally, uh, and so forth, and so on so there's we why we do this because we're convinced that if everybody saw things the same, we wouldn't have conflict, there would be harmony, and because the way we're seeing things is obviously the best way, if we didn't think it was the best way, we wouldn't see it that way, so therefore, if everybody saw things my way, we would have. Uh, Everything would be wonderful. Of course, there's been a backlash uh, called post-positivism, which simply says that everyone's view is equally valid. uh, But that is also an absolute view. Ironically enough, uh, they say absolutely there are no absolutes. The absolute truth is that there are no absolutes. And everyone's view is equally valid, of course. Uh, That doesn't work either. First of all, because our innate tendency is to try to have harmony. And second of all, because some people's views are out and out evil. So it, it, and then and someone has to decide which among the many views are moral and which among the many views are evil. You know, Just like recently in America, the Supreme Court decided that uh, homosexual marriages were constitutional. So this was, you know, somebody had to decide. Someone had to make a decision and say, okay, this viewpoint is good and this viewpoint is bad. It's not that all viewpoints are going to be equally good. So how, how we, what, what's going on here? You know, that the empirical effort is to try to get a harmony of viewpoints. And they're trying to do it in a mechanical way because they think the absolute truth is mechanical. Right? How is it possible to have a harmony of viewpoints, to have everybody see things exactly the same way? everyone understand the Absolute Truth exactly the same way. The only way you could do that is if, is if the Absolute Truth was material, if the Absolute Truth was an object, if the Absolute Truth was objective if there was nothing subjective about the Absolute Truth and therefore Prabhupada talks about in this purport how the, the speculators and the philosophers they criticize the devotees who say you can never know the Absolute Truth fully they say, what stuff and nonsense. If it's absolutely true, not only should we be able to know it fully, which is, of course, the attempt of the scientist, but also we should be able to come to full agreement on what it is. Now, in in ordinary life, such could be true for some simple material object. Uh, If you took a spoon and put it in front of millions of people, you could come to some total and complete agreement about a description of the object, most likely. So this attempt to have a total and full agreement by the mundane philosophers is indicative of their underlying philosophy that the absolute truth is an object. They think of the absolute truth as maybe a mathematical formula or some sort of uh, infinitely small, infinitely dense lump of matter They think of the absolute truth as something like that, some sort of essential mathematical formula from which everything else has come. But the real reason why the scientists and the speculators cannot understand the absolute truth ever, frankly, by their own private admission, no matter what they may bluster about publicly, and the reason that those who know the absolute truth say both that it's never fully knowable and have different subjective views of the Absolute Truth, is because the Absolute Truth is a person. And once we understand that the Absolute Truth is a person, then all of these problems are immediately resolved. Immediately. One understands that you cannot understand a person through some sort of empirical, uh, mechanistic, method. It's not how you understand a person. Perhaps one could understand our material body in that way, but even medical science only understands the material body to some extent. Many times pharmaceuticals get approved and used without anybody knowing how they act and how they do what they do. They haven't a clue. They say this works but its action is unknown. So that's just the material body. But to speak of the material mind, what to speak of the actual person? Can we get to know another person through a mathematical formula? It's it's interesting. There was a a research study about how you could get people to uh, fall in love in just a few moments. And what it was, was a series of questions that they should ask each other, they gradually become more and more intimate and revealing. And after having this discussion of these intimate questions, then the people stare in each other's eyes for four minutes, and at the end of that, they feel very close and connected. But although it's a kind of formula, the questions themselves and their answers are going to be unique to each individual and each individual case. So even two great personalities in exactly the same tradition are going to have somewhat different views of the Absolute because they are persons and the Absolute is a person. But you could say, wait a minute, wait a minute, isn't then the problem that there's going to be conflict because everyone has their own views? Well, no, because all those views are centered in the Lord. Because the Lord is the center... Even though there's many different views, still there can be harmony. Uh, we have some, some little bit of an idea. Uh, it's a, perhaps a poor analogy, but it, it will have to suffice. It's an analogy that Srila Prabhupada uses, that within a country there's different political parties, but they all care about the good of the country, although they may have opposite ideas about how to go about it. And when there's a common enemy, they join together to fight the common enemy. And this, such is true in a family also. Everybody has Each child in the family has a different relationship with the mother, uh, but still there's harmony because the, the center is the mother and the father. And if there's, again, some outside force, they work conjointly. They can work as a team, even though their relationship with the mother and the father, each one of them is different. It's not that every child sees the mother the same way or has the same relationship with the mother, and still there can be harmony. In fact, one of the joys of having more than one child is that you have a different relationship with each one of them. Uh, They're each so different, how how they grow, how they develop, how you deal with them. That variety gives pleasure to the parents, even though there's a sense of harmony. We could also note, however... That the absolute truth has different realms. And these different realms do exist for people who see the absolute truth in different ways. I bring this up a lot how, in the Brihad Bhagavatamrita, when Gopakumara went to Vaikuntha, the residents there perceived Lord Vishnu as being superior to Krishna. They perceived Krishna as being an incarnation on earth of the Lord in the material world they didn't even know that there was a planet dedicated to krishna goloka vrindavan in the spiritual world that was not known to the residents of vaikuntha and their view of krishna was was quite different right they wouldn't be comfortable on krishna's personal planet it wasn't their mood in the same way Gopu kumar wasn't comfortable in on one of the vaikuntha planets and you, you know that there's unlimited numbers of vaikuntha planets isn't that fascinating I mean, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explains to Sanatana Goswami many different Vishnu forms which he describes as different only by the placement of the four uh, items in their four hands. But certainly they're also different in personality and mood, although that isn't explained in Chaitanya Charitamita. And they each have their own planet. And then beyond those, there must be many more because there's an unlimited number of Vaikuntha planets, so why? why isn't there just one big Vaikuntha place? Because in each planet there's their own mood. Uh, there's a different way of relating with the Lord. I mean, ultimately, as Kapiladev says, each devotee has their own individual mood of relating with the Lord. And it's explained by Jiva Goswami and, and Vishnu Chakravarti that even in Goloka Vrindavan, there's a section of, there's of course Dvarka, and there's Matara, and then even in Vrindavan, there's a section of great opulence where Krishna is married to the gopis. then there's a section that's more rural and pastoral where they're not married and, and everybody has their own mood and some devotees have more than one mood. Some devotees are in Lord Chaitanya's Lila and in Krishna's Lila or in Rams Lila and in Krishna's Lila. and they're existing simultaneously in more than one mood. So even on the spiritual platform, and even though the center is the Lord, For full harmony, there's different realms for people who have different subjective views of love with the Lord. So how are we going to know the absolute truth? Well, if the absolute truth is that personal and that subjective, then how do we know about a person, even some person in this world? We know about them, again, not through mathematics, physics, chemistry, and not through just guessing and speculating, but we know about them through story. We know about them through narratives, through stories about them. I mean, ultimately we know about them if we get to personally interact with them, but before that, we get to know about them through stories and also through song and poetry. Perhaps poetry isn't so popular in the modern age directly, but the music industry, which is extremely popular, one of the most popular industries in the world, is really all about poetry. So we get to know persons through poetry and through stories. And such is exactly the way that we are told to get to know the Absolute Truth, Lord Shri Krishna. We are told, get to know the Absolute Truth through stories and poetry. And even the Lord's philosophy is in the form of poetry. Most of the Bhagavatam is in poetry. Uh, the Bhagavad Gita is in poetry. Some of the poetry in the Bhagavatam is really astonishing. The gopis' songs where there's both internal and external rhyme and, a, and the, the various poetic ornaments and, and so forth and, and so on. So when we get absorbed in the narratives and the poetry about the personality of Godhead, which we can only receive from his devotees, as explained in this purport, the only way, how, how are you going to get stories of a person? You're only going to get them from someone who knows that person. And if you want to get the stories with affection, it has to be someone who likes that person. And all of us have some people who don't like us, and the stories they tell about us are, are not going to bring anyone closer to us. They're going to push people far away. Oh, that Omila, she's such a terrible person. You know, she said this and she did this. And, you know, in those kind of stories, then people will just be pushed further away. It's, it's not going to actually have you be close to anybody. So we has to hear stories from those who are are close to us, who have some love and affection for us. And Prabhupada talks in this purport about enjoyment, enjoying the process of hearing and chanting uh, and take pleasure, happy in the process of hearing and chanting. So that's a very important point.